This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? Sorry if I'm a bit more irritable than usual. Something keeps eating our night shift employees. I've had to hire four different workers for the night crew in the past two weeks, and half of them are already being digested. You see, I warned that thing it could have one a month, but at this rate, I'll be raking in the overtime. For now, it's time for my break, and today, my friend, that means some allegedly real ghost stories from those lucky workers who either close up late at night or have to arrive early to open. After that, I've got a bonus story for you that's different than our usual. So grab an iced coffee, kick back, and enjoy these tales from the break room. The Third Floor From Adrian In my early 20s, I worked at my local Sears, where many strange things happened. It's been about a decade since then, and the store doesn't exist anymore so I don't feel bad sharing these stories. While there were people that passed away in the store or in the mall it was attached to, I think a lot of the activity has to do with the land it was built on. Here in Hawaii, there is a finite amount of space to build things. So a lot of the buildings you see, the schools and businesses, are old World War II hospitals or morgues that were bought up and renovated. For some perspective, the entire mall and the attached Sears sits only two miles from Pearl Harbor. When I started working there, I was assigned to the third floor, which housed four departments. Children's clothing, women's undergarments, small home appliances, and mattresses. While every department in the store had its own creepy occurrences, I think working on the third floor was the worst. On the first floor, there were incidents of people appearing on the security cameras after closing time, only for them to remain unseen when someone went to look for them. On the second floor, in women's apparel, there was a guy, a pervert, who shimmied up into the ceiling of the fitting rooms and stayed there for about a week, unnoticed, until one night when he set off the store alarm. After that, whenever we had to clear those fitting rooms at the end of the night, it was extremely unsettling to open all the doors by yourself. As for the third floor, I don't know which shift had it the worst. More than once in the closing shift, You'd be folding clothes and hear the fitting room alarm going off like someone was jumping back and forth in front of it. Like bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. It happened so often after the store was closed, our floor manager had to turn it off permanently. In the opening shift, sometimes, we would find a stack of toddler shirts knocked over, 
or baby strollers, which had apparently willed themselves into a different department. While you could say it was an oversight of the closing team or a prank, these little things happen too often to be mistakes or jokes. One of the worst common occurrences on the third floor was finding the little foot and handprints of children by the cashier station. It was weird to find them in the morning, because we knew the cleanup crew had swept the night before. And it was unsettling because the feet were always bare feet, with individual toes and heel prints. None of the children's mannequins had lifelike feet that could have been used to make them, and none of the people working had small enough feet to do it either. So whenever we'd find one, we would just look at each other for a moment and pretend it wasn't there. I mean, what else could we do? We tried debunking them the first few times, but it's not like we had the time or the tools to really investigate what was actually going on. So we often tried to ignore the weird things that happened. But some things are unavoidable. One morning, a group of us came in to do markdowns. Back then, we had to manually scan each item, then individually tag them as clearance. So you can imagine how long it would take a department, like children's clothing, to do this with all the small items. I won't use their real names, but the six of us split up the department to try to cover more ground before the store opened. Mia and I were in the middle, sorting through boys' jeans, when two of our co-workers approached us shaken and obviously bothered by something they had seen. I think there's someone walking around in home appliances, Ella said. Something about her quiet yet serious tone made my gut clench. It didn't help that her partner, Chloe, was standing with her arms tightly crossed, shifting from foot to foot, her eyes glued to the empty home appliance aisles across the store. It was a woman, Chloe added with her eyes still fixed away from us. Maybe it was just someone taking a long detour to the bathroom, Mia offered. It wasn't uncommon in the morning if there was no manager present to take long strolls through other departments before the store opened. In fact, this happened a lot more when it was a markdown day. When you work in a big store, it's not unusual for your coworkers from other departments to be curious about newly marked clearance items. But she wasn't walking towards the bathrooms. She walked from there to the back of the store. Ella explained. Together, the four of us looked at the path she pointed out, then towards the back of the store. We saw it. I really hadn't been expecting to see anything, so when I caught a glimpse of someone walking through the aisles at the back of the store, my whole body clenched up. They didn't have horns or a big smile, but there was something unmistakably wrong about the pale face and dark hair that moved so casually through the dark aisles in the closed store across from us. Without speaking, we all quickly went to find our team leader. It was probably just a vendor, our team leader Emily explained. They're not our employees, but their company sends them from time to time to set up their own merchandise displays. At first, I was comforted by the explanation, but my other co-workers weren't, so we decided to go as a group to home appliances to see if we could find anyone. And we couldn't. We didn't. There was no one there. Every time I try to swallow the explanation that it was just a vendor or cleaner, I just can't. It doesn't make sense, and thinking about it to this day still makes my skin crawl. 
The display aisles in my home appliance department were six feet tall, which means that the person or whatever we saw that morning had to have been much taller than six feet in order for us to see their head above the aisle. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. The Dog Farm from Bryce R. When I was in high school, I was looking for a part-time job. I eventually found one that sounded perfect. It was a greyhound farm, which was owned and run by my baseball coach. Knowing all the guys that worked there made this too good to be true. After working there, I learned there are multiple shifts that we call turnouts, where we'd go to the farm and turn out all the dogs from inside the buildings out. There are two times for this, besides morning shifts, one afternoon and one later in the evening, about when it starts getting dark. When I first began working there, I always had someone with me who would perform the turnouts for me. But as I got more experience, I figured everything out, and I was able to start doing it all by myself. My first late turnout went super well. I did the usual feeding of puppies, letting dogs out, and just sitting and waiting before putting them all up and heading home. As I kept doing the late turnouts, things got creepy. It began with simple things, like lights being on after knowing you had just turned them off. I didn't put much thought into this, other than the fact that I may have been distracted at the time and forgot to shut it off. I was a teenager after all, and I was practically addicted to my phone. Eventually, when I was mixing the feed for the puppies, things got even weirder. The door that led to all the dogs just opened out of nowhere and it sounded like someone was walking down the aisle. 
This made no sense, because if someone was doing this, the dogs would be going nuts. But there was nothing. Nothing but the sound of footsteps. So I hurried out of the building, deciding to go feed the pups and continue with turnout. The rest of that night went smooth, but the following night wasn't so good. I remember the same footsteps happening all the time. I remember the sensation of feeling watched at all times on the farm, which was just wrong because no one lived on the farm. It was just dogs. Many nights, the dogs would go from completely silent to raising hell in a matter of seconds, but there was no way to see what they were barking at. So I figured it was maybe another dog somewhere on the farm, maybe a dog that got out or something. While this was still creepy, it still possibly had some kind of rational explanation. I eventually talked with a buddy of mine I'd worked with, and he told me the truth that I wasn't at all prepared for. Before my boss had purchased the land to turn it into a dog farm, the previous owner had hung himself in the barn. At night, you could sometimes hear him walking around some of the buildings. Of course, wanting to see if he was pulling my leg or being factual about this, I talked to my boss who told me the exact same story. On my next turnout, I specifically remember leaving doors open and lights on, purposely, to see what would happen, to see if I could catch anything weird. And I did. That night, after all the dogs were in the yard, they all huddled in the corner furthest from the building, which was strange because it was raining. Most of the time when it's raining, the dogs sit under the roof unless they need to relieve themselves. All of a sudden, I hear the big door slam shut, harder than what a draft could do. Slowly, I walked inside to investigate, and that's when I found footprints of muddy boots which appeared to have walked from one side of the building to the other. Knowing I only came in one door and the fact I was wearing tennis shoes, this was horrifying. I told myself maybe it's my boss helping me out with the dogs before the storm gets too crazy. I then hear the crack of thunder and lightning with the sounds of dogs barking wildly now. I ran outside to see what was going on and I see that one of the dogs had been struck by lightning. I called my boss to let him know of the unfortunate event, to which he said, I'll be there in five minutes, gotta get dressed. So my boss wasn't there. If those footprints weren't his, then whose were they? To this day, I wonder who it was or what it was that made those muddy boot prints on the floor, and why a dog had been struck by lightning, which had never happened there before. Did I upset the spirit of the old farmer by leaving doors open and lights on, or was it just an unfortunate event? I doubt I'll ever know, and I'm okay with that. Before we begin the next story, let me say something first. This story is not at all believable. If you ask me, it sounds like someone submitted a creepypasta. That is just my opinion, though, and you're free to form your own. I'll read it this time if you keep in mind that this last story is likely fake, but still well-written and enjoyable. But please remember, if you're going to send us a story for me to narrate on Tales from the Break Room, they must be allegedly true and believable. Future stories like this will be rejected. This is not meant to be a podcast for creepypasta, aka fictional horror stories. Thank you. Trash Duty from Perfect Blue. 
Ever since I turned 15, I've worked at a quaint diner adjacent to an interstate. I won't say exactly where, but it's really the only eye-catching building you'd see down that boring road. It's big, too big, considering how few menu items we have. It stands out like a sore thumb among the tall trees and foggy clouds. The only indication of what its purpose is being a giant illuminated sign that reads, you guessed it, diner, plastered across the high point. This was my first real job, and I'm not too proud to say I've made a career out of it. At first, it began as a part-time thing, just me trying to scrape together some extra money to move out of my little town. Then, one of the cooks quit, so I took their place full-time. From there, executive chef, not that there was any difference from my previous title, really, but still I kept going up when vacancies opened. Now, as the general manager, I don't do too much. The owner is almost never there. I relax, sit in the back office, and approve timesheets, maintenance requests, and supply orders. That's pretty much it, aside from trash duty. Yeah, I know, usually taking out the garbage is something the part-time kid does. Ordinarily, I'd agree with you, but when it comes to this diner, things work a little differently. I remember back on my first day, I wanted to show initiative. So when I finished my tasks, I decided to take it upon myself to empty the overflowing trash can in the back of the kitchen. I took the bag out, wrapped it tight, and headed out the back exit, closest to the dumpster. That's when I was stopped by some sort of alarm. Not like a fire alarm or anything, just a simple buzz. Confused, I turned, only to see the then-manager, the guy who was training me, sprinting down the back kitchen hallway, his face stressed and beat red. Hey! He shouted at me and I blinked at him, confused. What do you think you're doing? Uh, taking out the garbage? Give me that! He yelled at me, yanking the bag out of my hand. I was so surprised. I tried to explain myself. I, I just thought, shaking his head, he cut me off. I take out the trash. No one else, got it? Still totally unsure of what was going on, I nodded, only to see him nod back and turn away, taking the garbage with him. I didn't really know what had just happened. After a minute or two, I shrugged it off, thinking the manager had some sort of control issue, and I tried to stop thinking about it. I did ask one of the cooks, though, but he didn't have much to say. I don't know, man. He takes out the trash. It's always been like that. Over the next few weeks, I never really touched the trash. I had no desire to be barked at again, and not having to deal with the trash was a plus one for me. Of course, there was a nagging curiosity that was begging to know why only the manager would take out the trash. It was easy enough to ignore. Until one night, when I was working an extra hour to help sort out a giant delivery of food. It was around midnight. I was in the kitchen and I heard the telltale sound of the metal garbage can being knocked around. I walked two rows down and looked over, seeing my boss pulling the trash out of the can. He nodded the bag and opened up the door, and out he went. As he left, I walked myself to the exit, keeping the door open a few inches, and watched him. As one would expect, he walked over to the dumpster, which was illuminated by the singular pale light attached to the rear of the building. He pushed open the lid, and hoisted the bag inside. I sighed. It was totally routine. 
does it really take the manager to do all that? About to turn away, I heard him mutter under his breath, and I returned my attention. Come on. He spoke in a gruff, almost aggressive voice. Come on, you bastard, where are you? Interested, I watched. Who was he talking to? His attention was on the woods directly behind the dumpster. I was thinking about calling to him, but then I began to pick up on a sound. It was faint at first, gradually coming towards the building. At first, I was reminded of a horse galloping. As it got closer, though, it sounded a lot more intense. I could hear trees and branches being split apart, and these thunderous footsteps that seemed far too fast and heavy to belong to any animal I was familiar with. My boss, meanwhile, was focused on where it was coming from, and though he looked nervous, it was clear he was expecting whatever was making its way over. The sounds cut out for just a moment, as if it, whatever it was, had stopped moving, though the silence only lasted a moment as it was split by a loud bang. I watched as the dumpster, which wasn't on any wheels, mind you, was sent four or five feet away from where it had been before. My eyes searched the low brightness for what had pushed it, and then, for the first time, I saw it. The Garbage Man. That's just a nickname, anyway. Beyond being bipedal, it has no resemblance to a man. It was pasty white, its flesh not at all a healthy color. It looked to be about ten feet tall. Its bone structure was oversized, easily showing through its gross skin. Its face lacked a nose, the only features being two beady eyes as big as tennis balls and a gaping circular mouth, like that of a lamprey. I was frozen as I stared at it. It was so wrong, so out of place with nature, and yet captivating. It crawled up the rear side of the dumpster, its breathing heavy and labored. It stared at my boss, and he stared back unflinching. The standoff went on for ten seconds before it dived its way into the dumpster, pulling its body entirely inside. The noises that followed indicated to me it was devouring the contents of the trash. My boss let out a sigh, relaxing himself. There you go. Enjoy it. With that, he turned around. I gained back control of my body just as he did, ducking out of the doorway before he saw me. I had absolutely zero clue how to process what I'd just witnessed. I remember finishing my work almost robotically and leaving the same way, not speaking to any of my co-workers on the way out. I did not return to work for a week after that. I mean, would you? I cited some illness I didn't actually have whenever they called and I did my best to focus on other things. But money doesn't grow on trees. I had bills to pay. And given the fact that my wage was a lot better than another starting position elsewhere, I didn't have much choice but to return. My first day back, I remember wrapping around the back of the building when the sun was still high in the sky. Inconspicuously, the dumpster was where it should have been, perpendicular to the white lines on the pavement. I looked inside. It was just an empty metal bin, nothing to indicate some sort of creature had been inside of it. Granted, I didn't know what I was looking for, evidence of what I'd seen, I guess, but I found none. I knew I hadn't imagined it, though. It was simply too vivid. I debated what to do next. I could confront my boss and demand some sort of explanation, 
or I could even go to the authorities, police or rangers or even the FBI. I didn't know what the best angle was. As it turned out, I didn't have to make that choice for myself. When I entered the diner, everything seemed normal. One of the waitresses greeted me, and apparently upon hearing my name, my boss stumbled out of the back, stopping just past the flapping door to look at me. We need to talk, you and I. He turned around, pacing loudly to his office. I followed, my heart sunken. One of two things was about to happen. Either I'd be reprimanded and possibly fired for my week-long absence, or he was about to grill me about the incident that took place the night before. I didn't know which one I preferred. You saw it, didn't you? That was the first line he spoke when he sat down. He didn't seem mad. There wasn't a hint of aggression in his voice. Even still, I tried to feign ignorance. Uh, saw what? The garbage man. Upon him saying that, I decided to be honest. Yeah, yeah I did. I'm sure you got a lot of questions then. Not really, no. Honestly, I don't want to know anything. He laughed then, very relaxed, obviously not at all minding that I had seen the creature. <laughs> you sound like me, you know. What do you mean? I mean when I first saw him. Boss man couldn't pay me a thousand bucks to talk about him. I blinked at him, confused. I didn't know what to think. With that line, it seemed there was a good bit of history with whatever I'd seen that night. Before I could reply, he began to explain. Back when I first started here, right after the place had just been changed from the pharmacy or whatever it used to be, I caught my boss talking to himself whenever he took out the trash. One night, I decided to follow him, just like you did, and I watched that thing come screeching out of the woods, crashing into the dumpster. The, uh, garbage man, you mean? Yeah, the one and only. So, what is it? I don't know. He didn't either. And it eats trash? Pretty much. What's the deal? You never called the cops or anything? Why would we? I stood up about to argue how terrible and unnatural the creature I saw was with someone who was a lot more familiar with it than I, but I really didn't have anything to say. Look, I don't know what the thing is. Some sort of undiscovered animal or an alien or some crazy crap. The point is, it plays nice so long as you give it the garbage. No need to call the cops. But what if you don't? Trust me, you want to give it the garbage. That was about as far as the conversation went. I remember him telling me something about not mentioning it to us all. Not that anyone would believe me anyway, before I left his office. He never did explain what would happen if I didn't throw the trash out every evening, though. Over the next few months, I tried to do my shift work as by the book as possible. Not once did I try to accompany my boss on his garbage runs, and not once did he ask me to. But I did notice a quiet $5 seemed to be added onto my hourly wage each time I got my paycheck. We seemed to reach an understanding where neither one of us would ever mention it, and that was something I was perfectly fine with, 
because I thought the job was only temporary. But as you might know, those hopes are often optimistic. I finished up my school with a degree that was effectively useless considering where I lived, and so I couldn't get any jobs locally that made much more compared to what I got at the diner. So I stayed put. My day, aside from work, consisted of sending out remote applications with ZipRecruiter and Indeed to any city in drivable distance. As time went on, I eventually moved my way up through the ranks to management. Like I said, most people work here as a part-time thing, so it wasn't too hard to get promoted when the person directly above me quit. Soon enough, I was working right below my boss. Even still, we didn't talk about the garbage man. Ever. He was an older guy, you know, a good bit overweight. And so one day when we were replacing old furniture with recently upholstered diner chairs, I didn't pay too much attention to when he fell out of breath. He mumbled something about needing to lie down, and I took a look at him. His face was splotchy with red and white discoloration making weird patterns. His hands had the same effect too. The quick break turned into an incident when he found it hard to get up, and the words he was speaking became slurred. Of course, I called an ambulance. It seemed like a stroke or a heart attack, something like that. The ambulance arrived pretty quickly considering where we were, and they took him away. He never showed up after that. I didn't know if he died or just retired or whatever. We never had enough of a relationship that would facilitate me reaching out. Regardless, a week later, the owner showed up. I remember him deliberating with the staff for an hour before unofficially promoting me to the title of general manager. I recall him asking if I knew how to do everything, and I gave him a passive, yeah, just trying my best to snag the role. As it turned out, approving timesheets was a mess I really wasn't ready for. But I got through it. My first night as GM, I must have stayed till 2am, filling out the overly complicated PDFs. When I got up and locked up my office, I could tell by the lights being off I was the last one there. So I made my way to the back of the building, heading out the door. The sight of the spottily painted green dumpster in front of me reminded me of what I'd forgotten. Trash duty. I hadn't thought about it in so long. Considering the old boss wasn't there anymore, was I supposed to take the trash out? I checked the time on my phone. It was way past midnight. Despite me remembering now, I'd already missed the deadline. I remember growing sweaty, a little nauseous, worried about what was going to happen. My old boss's one line about always wanting to give it the garbage echoed through my head. Turning the corner around the building, I walked up to my car before stopping. I looked at it. My jaw dropped. It had been totally eviscerated. The inexpensive sedan looked like it had been bashed in from every direction, each door dented in, each window obliterated. Even some of the rubber around the rims was missing. In the split second my brain ran through possible explanations, I caught something out of the corner of my eye. The garbage man. It was rolling around one of the hubcapless tires effortlessly with one arm. I dropped something out of shock. I'm not sure what, probably a water bottle and the clang it made as it hit the pavement rang out across the quiet parking lot. Immediately, the garbage man turned towards me, locking eyes on me as its toy rolled out of view. Its labored breathing seemed to ramp up, 
and within seconds, it was in a dead sprint towards me, galloping on all four limbs. Automatically, I took off back towards the building. Somehow, I aced the key on the first try, managing to get myself in through the back before it closed the distance. I heard the garbage man thud loudly against the door only seconds later. Further footsteps seemed to indicate it was pacing around the exit, waiting for me to leave. I sat there petrified. I knew if it really wanted to get in, at any point it could. The physique of that thing, and what it had done to my car, made it clear it could rip the back door off its hinges at any point. The fact that it hadn't yet made it seemed like it was waiting for something, and I was pretty sure I knew what that thing was. Grabbing the black bag out of the can, I looked at it, not at all confident. There was hardly anything inside. It looked to be mostly paper towels. I couldn't see any food scraps whatsoever. Even so, that's what I had, so I quickly nodded it, took a deep breath, and left the building, walking over to the dumpster. As soon as I exited, I could see it, standing directly to my left, looming. Its knees, now straight and unbuckled, made it look even taller than it did before. My peripheral vision could pick up saliva dripping from its mouth as it let out disgusting wheezing sounds. It stood perched, as if about to jump on me, but I didn't turn to look at it in more detail. I pressed on, only a few steps remaining. When I reached the dumpster, I threw the garbage bag into it, and not a second later, the garbage man barreled after it, jumping in and hungrily ripping the bag to shreds. I didn't even look for as much as a second before I turned around and headed back inside to the protection of the building. I watched through the dirty glass window as it ripped and teared for a good few minutes before I decided to head back into my office. I think I put some music on, tried my best to relax. Believe me, that was the very last time I was ever late with trash duty. Nowadays, I have about 20 alarms set, with 5-minute intervals leading up to 12am on my phone. Not once will I ever miss it, so long as I have this job. Not once. As for what the garbage man actually is, I haven't a clue. I don't need to know, though. We have a relationship, it and I. I give it trash, and it eats it. It's straightforward, it's simple, and it's a lot more efficient than waiting for the weekly pickup. So whenever I find myself lying awake at night, thinking too hard about it, I just remember one thing. So long as I take out the trash on time, it'll leave well enough alone. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, Please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com.
Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.